0: bulletproof radio a state of high performance
1: hey it's dave asprey with bulletproof radio today's cool fact of the day is that people who think they're turning their head further than they are report neck pain earlier than people who think they're turning their head less than they actually are And that's probably because your body starts sending pain signals when it senses danger rather than when it actually feels pain. So it's tricking you without your knowledge or permission, which is why you should listen to your body, but you shouldn't always trust what it tells you. Hey, I've figured it out. I've discovered the key to an amazing shave. It's simple. That's exactly what dollarshaveclub.com does and why I am a happy member like millions of others. Dollarshaveclub.com delivers amazing razors right to my door for a third of the price of what the greedy razor corporations charge. That means when you join the club, you can afford to shave with a fresh blade anytime you want, which feels fantastic. I get a first class shave when I use the executive blade, and that's without even hurting my wallet. And when I use the executive with their Dr. Carver's Shave Butter, the blade just gently glides for the smoothest shave ever. It's not your average shave cream. It has high-quality ingredients that make your skin feel soft, smooth, and moisturized. In order to get the most amazing shave possible, take it from me. Use a fresh DSC Executive Blade and Dr. Carver's Shave Butter. Those are two reasons you should join Dollar Shave Club today. Head on over to dollarshaveclub.com slash bulletproof today. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash bulletproof. If you haven't had a chance to check out the Bulletproof store lately, we just put up a bunch of really cool new t-shirts, including some that have to do with butter. So if you're up for some new threads, check out the new Bulletproof stuff. It's awesome. Today's show is going to be really, really fun because I've got two world-renowned chiropractic experts, Dr. Dan Yachter and Dr. Deed Harrison. Dr. Yachter is one of the five chiropractic thought leaders who co-founded Evolution Health which is a new type of chiropractor that builds international offices based on some standards, and he's the author of the book called The Doctor of the Future. Uh, Dr. Deed Harrison is a chiropractic researcher and educator who has developed his own set of spinal rehab procedures and has lectured thousands of chiropractors and regular MDs in hundreds of educational conferences around the world. He's written about 100 peer-reviewed spine publications and five textbooks on the spine, and he's the director of the ideal spine health center in eagle idaho uh welcome dan indeed
0: thank you thank you for having us yeah thank you very much dave uh, honored to be here
1: so i'll admit i've used chiropractic for quite a long time probably the first time i went was 1997 i i woke up and my back hurt like i'd never felt before i mean it, it was just horrible and i went to work anyway and uh, I, ter- I was turning green, and my boss at the time, she's like, Dave, something's wrong. I'm like, yeah, my back kind of hurts. And she's like, you need to go like, see a doctor or something. And I'm like, doctor's not doing anything for his back pain. So I just randomly found a chiropractor, and, and he did something that kind of helped. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And I got uh, more and more interested in-, in what's going on and discovered that there's literally hundreds and hundreds of different uh, bel- uh, I don't believe systems is the wrong side. We'll say subspecialties of, of chiropractic where some people are looking at, at thermal imaging. Some people are doing this. But I found that it, it's a real science and it's practiced in many, many different ways. Yet there's still some degree of, of say, skepticism. Like I think my father's probably never been to a chiropractor uh, because, well, I don't know, they might crack your back and then you'd be addicted and, and all these weird things. Uh, my first question for you guys, as people who have spent your career in this stuff, why is there skepticism towards chiropractic?
2: I think really more than anything, it's kind of what uh, we're doing today is we're going to be reaching so many people to help them. It's really an understanding. Once the understanding comes of what chiropractic is about, I think people would be open to it because it's, it's logical. It's common sense. Um, when you explain the fact that structure determines function and they're so interrelated and, you know, really as a chiropractor, Dr. Deed and I know the ultimate biomechanical and functional performance hack is making sure the spine is in alignment because, you know, reason follows where if you have a spinal cord that's running through the spine and it's delivering communication from the system that's running the body, the brain and the spinal cord control, coordinate, harmonize, regulate, direct every single function of the body. Every organ and gland um, is controlled from air traffic control, Houston control. And there are... 24-movable vertebrae, a sacrum, and a coccyx, and the nerve system is housed within the spine. And very simply, if any of the bones are out of their normal alignment, they can create a mechanical irritation, an impingement, a stress, a tension on the nerve system itself, and that will disrupt the messages, the communication, the transmission through this energy system, this electrical system. And that will then cause organs and cells, tissues, glands to break down. So it's really just a matter of understanding communication. If the public understood the message in a simple way that way and understood that their health, their energy, their ability to heal is directly related to the position of their spine, to their skeletal structure and the alignment and everything that goes along with it, it's a simple message. And anybody that Dr. Deed and I ever really explain it to, people say, well, of course. But what happens and typically in the public, there are a lot of different messages that are going on. That's why I think the public is never really um, on a grand scale, uh, understood. But Deed, Dr. Deed is mo- one of the top researchers in the world, and he can you know share with you what he's been involved with in the research. And there's so much research that's been done that he's been involved with that he's been bringing to the world and bringing to the chiropractic profession to really show the power of what happens when you have a clear functioning nerve system. It's, it's, it's powerful on many levels, including performance in general.
1: I definitely understand what you're saying there. Uh, Deed, you've been doing this for for quite a while and I've seen a, a change in the way people perceive chiropractic it's much more accepted now uh, than it was 10 or 20 years ago uh, but it's been going on for a very long time and, and it seems almost like there's been some competitive stress from other medical professions who you know didn't necessarily like what was going on there have you experienced that in your career
0: oh sure and and you know your question and, and comment hits the nail on the head. The, the reality that the chiropractic's market share hasn't grown in the last 10 years. What, what's happened is there's just been maybe a louder voice. And so it appears that we have greater public interest and uh, greater su- uh, community support. But the reality of it is it's still under 10% of the population actually regularly, regularly sees a chiropractor. And that's been going on for at least the last decade, maybe two decades. Uh, the issue is chiropractic is kind of the small kid on the block. Uh, we're the newer kid in healthcare, and always the, the group that has the louder voice with the most money and the most resources tends to really influence the public perception. And chiropractic has never really had a really big marketing voice. We've never had the dollars. We don't have industry that backs our, our profession. And so the reality, the profession isn't well-known to the public. And it's like Dr. Dan said, if they really knew what we did, there wouldn't be this skepticism. But I've seen the skepticism in my career from uh, a clinical point of view, but also from a a research point of view too, where uh, you're kind of, in some ways, you're you're not given the same level of uh, entry into research because you are a chiropractor. Uh, So yeah, the skepticism runs deep.
1: It's very different than Big Pharma, and it's certainly not funded by Big Pharma. But uh, I want to hear. I want to hear your story about how you got into this and ended up writing 100 peer-reviewed publications and all. So, so how did you get started, uh, Deed? Uh, kind of walk, walk me through what attracted you to chiropractic, and then how you've built a career doing this.
0: You know, th- that's a great question. Thank you, Dave. The reality of it is, I got a great start from my father. Uh, my late father <laughs> passed away in 2011 was really a pioneer in the chiropractic profession, and his name was Dr. Don Harrison. Uh, So he graduated chiropractic college in the late 1970s, and in his era, there was really no chiropractic research at all. There really wasn't even a chiropractic professional scientific journal. Uh, So my dad came from a math and science background. He already had a, a master's degree in math and a bachelor's degree in physics, and then when he got into chiropractic, he saw the, the lack of science, and as did many people in his era. And so he, he really pioneered the organization that I now head up today, which is chiropractic biophysics. Uh, so long story short, my dad's the one that started the, the technique analysis and system. Uh, he started our research foundation in the uh, late 1980s, and then uh, I came along in 19... 19- Ninety-four, when I went to chiropractic college, and I went to chiropractic college simply because I would grown up as a chiropractic child. I'd seen it, it I've heard it. I, I was in my dad's practice, etc. And uh, I, I just came along at the right time, I think. And of course, you know, not not belittling myself, but I, I was given a gift, and uh, I got to run with it.
1: Awesome that that makes that makes a lot of sense because when you see your parents do it, and you sort of understand that that there is. There is a certain skill that's involved in being a chiropractor that is different than being a physician. Uh, Physicians also have bedside manner. Some of them are really good at their surgical thing or whatever else you're doing, some better than others. Um, But I I feel like like there's a little bit more hands-on manipulation. (laughs) so to speak, when you're a chiropractor. So the difference between chiropractor A and chiropractor B is likely to be greater than the difference between physician A and physician B in the same subspecialty. Uh, At least that's been my experience.
0: Yeah, that's totally true. Uh, The the reality of it is a lot of it's the connection between the doctor and the patient and then the skill level and the training uh, of the doctor themselves, the chiropractor. And, you know, this might be some of the skepticism too. People may have experienced a not so good adjustment from a chiropractor. And then they have this skeptical mind and they say, oh, the chiropractors are quacks. I'm not going back. Well, the reality of it is they just didn't find the right one that connected with them. It's kind of like when you go out to eat, sometimes you might actually go to a restaurant and you get food poisoning. That doesn't mean you're never going to eat again. Right.
1: It doesn't mean you should never trust a chef. Uh, Right. In fact, that's a beautiful analogy. Uh, and there are certainly different levels uh, of experience there. Uh, Dan, how did you find yourself in this field? It's
2: interesting. I was uh, at the University of Florida pre-med, as a pre-med student. And my brother, um, prior to that, he um, got into a really bad car accident um, in his early 20s. And uh, severe back pain, uh, very, very uh, severe injury he had for his, his back, his spine. The only options the doctors were really talking about were surgery. Lots of drugs, painkillers. While he was attending the University of Florida, his, uh, his best friend told him, Go see my chiropractor. My chiropractor uh, is going to save you from the blades and from the drugs. So my brother went within a few weeks. He had full function and health back to his body, restored. I never needed the drugs or the surgery. Following that experience, he decided he wanted to become a chiropractor. I never had a chiropractor in my family. <laughs> mother, father, nobody in my lineage was ever a chiropractor. My brother was just uh inspired by that yeah. experience. So he went off to chiropractic school and started learning, started getting his, his hands skilled and kinda of took back a little bit and kinda of, you'll see how the I guess the story unfolds here. My father, when he was seven years of age, uh, he went down a slide head first. And the slide ended in a lake, and right underneath the slide was a cast iron bathtub. My father's head collided with the bathtub, had a very serious cranial trauma, um, almost drowned. I uh, was knocked out cold, but um, was able to get through that episode. And uh, my father spent the next several decades uh, experiencing crippling migraine headaches, Ooh. and he ended up taking massive amounts of painkillers, drugs. Uh, a couple of organs got knocked out. Um, he was miserable. And I grew up watching my father go through this. It was uh, it was life altering, to say the least, for my dad. So my dad was always miserable. It, it was a it was a very serious life disruptor for my father. So to come full circle back to my brother, my brother comes home after his uh, after his first year in chiropractic school and says to my dad, "Hey, I think when I'm learning school it may, it may be able to help you." My father still this is uh, 40 years since his headaches, still living in tormenting pain. No doctors had been able to help him. All he was offered were more medications. uh, No one could figure out what was wrong with him. My my brother did an evaluation on my father and discovered the atlas vertebrae, the first bone, Mm -hmm. uh, was out of alignment. And most of the time with headaches, most of the literature states that um, headaches uh, are typically cervicogenic. They typically originate in the, in the upper cervical spine. Now, my father never had pain. He had a, more of a functional issue being caused by the atlas side of alignment that was creating a mechanical distortion of the brainstem and that whole area. No pain. So maybe a physician would have done a physical examination on him had, they, had he complained about neck pain, but he never had any neck pain. Um, so my brother, through a discussion with my father and through an analysis, discovered this bone out of alignment, convinced my father to allow him to adjust him, <laughs> And he did a series of adjustments while he was home. He was on, it was like a Christmas vacation. He was home for quite a while, a few weeks, maybe a month. And he did a whole series of adjustments. And that was that. He went back to Atlanta to Life University, which is where we both went to chiropractic school. And then probably uh, four or five, six months transpired. And my father called my brother on the phone and said to my brother, you know, the headaches are gone. I don't have any headaches, completely gone. And this is well over 20 years ago. And to this day, my father has no, none of those headaches. He's off all the medications he was on, um, because of all the disruptions in his body he was on. Also, uh, they had him on Synthroid for 35 years. He's Mm -hmm. off the Synthroid. My dad's getting ready to turn. He's going to be 75 next week. So no headaches, completely gone after 40 years of suffering, Mm -hmm. no medications, healthy, strong. And I saw that happen and it it lit me up. You know, I I was a pre-med student at the university of Florida and that was the direction I wanted to go in. Um, had my aspirations there and I saw what chiropractic did for my father. It literally gave him his life back and it turned me around and I was in chiropractic school just like that.
1: So you you basically saw it work. Both of you had an opportunity to see big changes from it. Um, I have found that many chiropractors uh, that I've come to know over the years are, are classical biohackers they're much more connected with, uh, okay, I'm going to make a change and and see what the results are, which is actually kind of like the scientific method. (laughs) Um, But, you know, you, you do this. And one of the most profound experiences that, that made me really pay attention to this when my son was born, um, I, I caught him. We we did a birth at home, which is kind of cool. We had an emergency room physician standing by because my wife is an emergency room physician. <laughs> she was the one, you know, pregnant. But what the heck? Uh, so we also had other helpers right right very close to the hospital, so it was very safe. And uh, I, I delivered uh, my son, but it was relatively tight coming out. And unlike my daughter, he wouldn't sleep for more than twenty minutes, and he would like move his arm in a weird way. And I'm like, you know, this baby's in pain. And just through a, a random connection, uh, we got introduced to a guy who 's written the only chiropractic textbook that 's used for uh, for babies in regular hospitals and he, re- he lectures around the world teaching. Uh, at, at basically birth wards, like here's what to do. And, and his his like most famous trick was to find the infants on oxygen in the ICU and touch the back of their head with one finger at just the right spot. And their oxygen saturation would just go up and up and up in ways that are supposed to be impossible, but he's teaching it to doctors. So he took my son five days old. I'm like a little nervous here. You know, I don't want to see him holding him by the head and shaking him kidding. No chiropractor would ever do that. But, um, what he did is he, he said, ah, okay, yeah, this, this is something in, in the upper back right, probably the atlas for all I know. Um, and he, he put the pressure, he described it, the pressure of a nickel resting on your hand, that much pressure in just the right spot. And for the first time in five days, literally, Alan just kind of sat there for a second, melted into the bed, and slept 12 hours straight. So he had something going on, his, his arm relaxed. He had something pinched up there, and he literally couldn't sleep. Because of it. And I imagine if, if I had not been fortunate to meet, like, the same as Dr. Peter Fish, um, to meet uh, a chiropractor who had the right skills at the right time, it's entirely possible the first two years, like when Alan's brain is really cooking in there and doing what it does, it would have been disrupted by sleep and chronic pain. And, and so I, I feel like there's a whole branch of science here that's totally worth exploring that is non-drug. And uh, the innovations I've seen, probably partly because of the internet, because chiropractors are sharing knowledge and techniques and science, uh, that it, it's actually a really good time uh, for a chiropractic because uh, the the people who are, are not skilled, well, they have Yelp reviews. <laughs> and the people who are skilled, end up writing textbooks and end up getting more more patients and, and more acclaim for the work they're doing. I, I think the cats out of the bag in terms of whether or not it works, it, in the hands of of a good practitioner, I think there's there's so much evidence that that good things are happening here that I I don't I don't worry about it so much.
0: You you both, uh, doc, Dr. Dan and Dave, have brought up wonderful, beautiful, basically case case studies. Uh, Dave with your child and and Dan you know, with your father, the challenge is this. And as a researcher and a clinician, I'm in a unique spot and the clinician in me, I I look at every single person that comes in as a case study. And my job is the needs of the one. It's not the needs of the many. It's that person, that individual right there in front of me. It's a case study. The, The researcher in me, and the skeptics out there, the other, you know, the medical research community, the, the surgical research community, any other, you know, scientific mind that's not a chiropractor, they look at these cases and they go, interesting coincidence. Right? <laughs> and and th- this is our challenge. The clinician and the parent and the person, we know it's real. We experienced it. We were there. So th- this is the problem with chiropractic is we've never had these you know, a large scale industry fund that we could take a thousand cases like Dan's dad or Dave, like your child and say, okay, let's randomly assign them to, you know, conservative care, which is traditional, you know, medical intervention versus conservative care, which is chiropractic intervention. And then let's really see what happens. Now, these things are starting to be done, but they don't, they don't exist on every type of outcome. Like in your case, uh, Dave, there, there's not a thousand cases that we have on a child that's not respirating normally. And then, uh, you know, Dave, we do have a lot of evidence on, on uh, or so, sorry, Dr. Dan, we have evidence on headache. But the, 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 challenge, the real challenge is doing large scale trials to really confirm what we already know as a clinician and what we already know as the patient.
1: Also, large-scale trials, uh, it, it, there's, there's this bizarre thing that, that I believe is fundamentally unscientific that comes from, uh, from big pharma. They don't measure tons and tons of variables that, that probably have, have a big say in the outcome here, uh, like we're going to test medication, but we're not going to test the diet or even record the diet of the people taking the medication even though there are known interactions between certain foods and certain medications. And one of the the biggest things that happen when you're trying to to measure a modality is you have patients. And of course, patients are all different genetically and lifestyle, whatever else. But you can identify X number of patients with some kind of condition and have an 80% certainty that they actually have that condition. If it's chronic fatigue, who knows? If it's broken legs, then okay, we can really know you have a broken leg. Okay, And then... You have a modality we're going to treat, like some way of treating them. Okay, those are two variables, right? And that's what we want to match up. And then that's supposed to be it. But the healer is another variable. And it is entirely possible in acupuncture, chiropractic, and even traditional medicine, but more so in, in the other so-called alternative medicine or even a functional medicine doctor, the quality and perception and skills of the caregiver are a variable that is just as important as the patient so when people say well you know there's no double blind studies on that yeah one of the problems is that the way the doctor acts can affect outcome and we know this because we have placebo and nocebo effects so i don't understand how we're trying to remove the the care provider from the science when what we're doing here is not paint by numbers if we were to evaluate an artist or a chef, you wouldn't say, well, you know what? This chef cooking technique, sorry, it, it doesn't work. You're like, well, it's applied differently by different chefs, right? Like that's why they have different restaurants. And that's funny. When you put a paintbrush, unless you're doing paint by numbers, which no one likes, when you put it in the hands of Monet or Picasso, you get very different outcomes, yet they're both art. What do you guys have to say about just the, the, the validity of this kind of double blind clinical trial towards something that has the the care provider so integral to what it does.
0: So you know this is you know my my field and my issue. I'm a clinician at heart, but I'm a researcher now in in practice. That's what I do. And we, we know this. We know now that evidence-based medicine and evidence-based healthcare, evidence-based chiropractic, we, we know it depends on at least three variables. It's the needs of the one, the patient, and that's the unique person, like you've said, Dave, their genetics, what they do, what they eat, et cetera. So the needs of the one. Number two, it's using the best available evidence that we have at this time. Maybe it's not a double-blind randomized trial. Maybe it's just simply case studies, and that's all we have on a certain topic. So it's the best available evidence, whatever it is. And then the third one is exactly what you've said at the end. It's the training and the expertise of the provider. All those three come together to paint this picture of an outcome. The, the problem is when we talk about industry and funding and insurance and governments, they're interested in one thing, and it's called their bottom line, and it's it's cost savings. And it's really odd that they'll cut out certain things like chiropractic when it's less than 1% of the, an annual health care budget, but, but they do it anyway under a cost savings umbrella. And the reality, as the clinician, we know that those three things play a role in no matter what we do. We know that some people need one, one visit and some people don't need dietary modifications. Other people might need 100 visits and a full spectrum of dietary and nutritional modifications. When we try to do a randomized trial, a double-blind placebo-controlled trial, th- there's always constraints, and it never allows freedom of the clinician to truly do what they would actually do if they weren't part of an experimental design. So by nature, randomized trials force a certain thing. They, they force an, uh, either a start or an end, or they force a certain type of treatment intervention over a certain time and uh you know this is the challenge in in reality it takes the doctor patient relationship out of it
1: there's something else you mentioned you talked about this evidence-based medicine which is actually a really pejorative term equivalent to non-shitty medicine yeah like like i practice non-shitty medicine because everything else other than what i say is obviously shitty yeah and Mm -hmm. well here's the deal there are many forms of evidence and people who have, are, are worshipping irrationally to the evidence-based gods have chosen to ignore. I, I think it's six of seven kinds of evidence that you can accept in favor of basically saying this one. And anyone who doesn't use the kind of evidence that I like is is basically you know a quack, a fraud, whatever else, and, and all that kind of BS. And and it is fundamentally anti-science when someone says evidence-based. And sorry to kind of call you out there, Deed, but but here's the thing. You better say what kind of evidence you're talking about because clinical evidence, as in this guy was sick and now he's better, that is an observation. You know, the scientific method where you start with an observation, you form a hypothesis, and then you test it. And if you reject clinical outcomes and clinical observations from hundreds of thousands of care providers because there aren't aren't double-blind studies there, what you're actually doing is you're practicing this bizarre form of – I don't even know what to call it – but it isn't medicine and it's not even evidence based it's actually selective evidence avoidance to support whatever your hypothesis is and it is it is no different than practicing uh well i would call it witch doctory
0: yeah and this is we're on the same page dave uh, i i always take the clinical side in my profession i'm really kind of a black sheep researcher even though i'm one of the top in the profession i'm like I'm really not well thought of in the research community, and it's for what you've just said. The best available evidence to me, it could be a case study on a topic. That's all we have. And so to me, that is evidence. And, and the reality of it is we use, we try to use what's called expert opinion and you know analogies and anecdotes. And the reality of that, it doesn't matter who the expert is, that is actually the lowest form of evidence. So a single case study like your child and, and uh, Dr. Dan's dad, that is evidence. Yep. And So, I mean, we have this double-edged sword. So I, I think I've said enough, and I'll turn it over to Dr. Dan.
2: Yeah, the, the, the concept here is that it's not an allopathic model. It's a vitalistic model that we're dealing with. It's a, it's a different type of paradigm to begin with. And there's a what's known as really a dynamic essential, an esoteric that you can't leave out of the picture. It's what you touched upon, Dave, is what's the, what the clinician is bringing, to the arena, to the to the office. You know, I just got finished getting a diplomate in in pediatrics. So that's one of the things I heavily focus on in my office. Uh, one of just a few in the, in the country, um, a, a handful of doctors who are really heavily focused in that arena. And um, we had, to, in order for me to complete the studies, I had to do a lot of research. We had to gather up questionnaires and through the NIH. And a lot of data had to be, we had to put patients in a room by themselves and they had to do questionnaires. And the, the outcomes are great. The quality of life assessments and everything that was reported, but it also goes back to the fact is what type as a healer, what type of environment are you setting up? And as a vitalistic healthcare provider and a vitalistic paradigm, we're very conscious. We're very aware of what we're bringing to the table as well. And that's a huge piece of the puzzle. And many chiropractors, like you said, a little while ago are very focused on that. And that's what really drew me to you to begin with. I, I ran into you and heard you a couple of years ago, at JJ versions uh, seminar in Tampa in uh, January 2014. And, and my wife, the first thing she does when she wakes up in the morning, be, besides changing the diapers, because I have a, I have a one-year-old and a three-year-old, she oh, goes wow. to the kitchen and she gets the, her Bulletproof coffee. And, you know, we, <laughs> we have all these, you know, it's part of our life, the Bulletproof lifestyle we've incorporated because I know as a clinician too, I want to bring my best to, to the practice, but really what we're looking at. And, you know, when we, when we're talking about the paradigm is yes, we can't leave the practitioner out. For example, in my office, one of the things we try to do these office, like-minded chiropractors is we try to set up an atmosphere of healing. And what does that look like? You know, it's, it's, Very supportive. It's very nurturing. It's providing information. It's empowering. Uh, It's a different type of environment outside of being like dictatorial. It's more of a partnership. It's more of an alliance. It's more of um, you're facilitating the process. It's a very different mindset in a vitalistic paradigm or a vitalistic healthcare model. So when you set it up that way and it's fostering a sense of nurturing and support, and people feel like they're growing and they're learning and they're really getting fed knowledge and they feel like they're healing and growing and learning and they attend workshops and they're getting knowledge, it's it's a whole different experience. It's a different reality. It's a different paradigm. And so the the outcomes have to be measured, maybe with standard models, but also there's also you have to look at how do you encompass all of the different dynamics that are involved in, in this vitalistic paradigm, which is different. And it's not easy to measure and it's very easy to discount when you have well, 100, 200, 300 babies in my practice that have all had similar experiences to your son. <laughs> it's like, but okay, go back and try to track scientifically exactly how it happens. It's not as easy in a vitalistic model. I think that's where sometimes chiropractic finds its challenges in regards to research and otherwise.
1: Is it possible to get hurt by a chiropractor who who doesn't uh, doesn't know what they're doing or even someone who does know what they're doing? I, I mean, it do people get paralyzed? Do people end up with headaches? Like, is there a risk?
0: It, you know, that's a great question. The, the general answer is there's a risk to everything that we do, right? The, yep. the perspective is you're a thousand times more likely to get injured by taking an over-the-counter painkiller like an aspirin or a Tylenol than you are by going to a chiropractor for the same condition. So, the, the perspective is. People don't hesitate to take an Advil, a Tylenol, and aspirin, yet you're a thousand times more likely to be injured from that than by seeing a chiropractor. Are there some injuries that have, you know, been documented under chiropractic care? Yes. In, you know, trials that have been done, they, they look at, did you have a negative experience? Negative means do you have a subtle increase in neck pain? Do you have a subtle increase in back pain or, or, or et cetera following you know, a certain visit. The reality is those things do occur, but they're transient. They tend to be very, very short-lived in nature, and they tend to be very mild in nature. And then once in a while, there's a a much rarer injury that is very significant. But, you know, that's with everything we do. Um,
1: It's a fair point because no one's ever injured by their allopathic physicians either, we're, we're right. right <laughs> last right. statistic I saw was like 40,000 deaths a year through that kind of medicine that are unnecessary so yep. uh, th- there's risk anytime you do anything and I, I don't believe that there's undue risk uh, in my experience with chiropractic but um, I've also heard some other uh, pretty substantial claims like oh chiropractic can help you with heart disease or diabetes and, and these things that mm-hmm. western medicine doesn't necessarily well Western we'll medicine likes to ignore cures for, like, oh, food. Um, <laughs> but uh, what's the chiropractic take on, on diseases like these?
2: I, I think it's really chiropractic more than anything is about getting the body to perform at its best and recognizing the philosophical tenets of chiropractic of the fact that the body is a self-healing, self-regulating organism. It's got an innate intelligence, and we honor that as chiropractors, that the body can and will heal itself. It needs no help. It just needs no interference. And so chiropractic is not necessarily a treatment for things. So I make sure that the, the folks and Dr. Deed and his clinic and whatnot, when folks come through the door with any condition, and there are a lot of different conditions that walk through the door, the first conversation we have when we're bringing them through the initial intake consult and exam is that we're not going to be treating their illness, sickness, and disease. And in my estimation, we're doing something more superior, which is removing interference to the body's innate healing expression. And the first place we start is with their spine. Um, One of the things I do a lot of in my office is I have a degree in nutrition as well, along with being a chiropractor. So I'm very, very heavy into nutrition. We're going to look at that, whether it's a neonate, a a toddler, small child, an adult, Um, but all in an effort to remove interference, not necessarily to treat. And that's really the first place that we start. Um, If we can get the interference removed or remove as much as we can, biomechanically, chemically, maybe help them emotionally or help them find maybe mental, emotional stress reducers um, in this holistic approach, Um, allow their bodies to perform at their best. Uh, The body by default wants to be well. It wants to heal. It wants to perform well and express great healing potential and great function. It knows how to do it. Um, It just needs no interference or minimal interference in doing so.
1: So it, 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 sounds suspiciously like this, uh, this bulletproof idea, which is, is remove the things that make you weak and do more of the things that make you strong. And that's
2: it. You know, I I, I, I love it. You know, I, I just got done reading the, the book here Yeah, uh, you guys sent me my copy oh, and, the uh, site, yeah, it awesome. Just got the cookbook too. And, oh,
1: uh, thank that's you. The,
2: that's the concept, the body's smart. Then you know, how do you biohack the body? How do you biohack the nervous system? How do you get the body working at its best, which is the concept? It's removing interference. The body by its divine design is to be to be well, to express energy. And, you know, that's what we that's what we lead our patients in. That's why so many chiropractors resonate with you as well and, and your philosophy and your
0: and your science and your vision.
1: Uh, well well thank you. Uh, indeed, you were gonna say something in there too.
0: Yeah, I just wanted to add to what Dan said and, and what you've been saying uh... Uh, to Dave. I mean, the reality of it is we, we intervene and we look at the person as a whole. The person might have cardiovascular disease. There's not an adjustment in the spine that says you adjust this vertebra and the heart will function better. That's not how it works. Uh, what we do know, though, through science and research, we know that there's a link between cervical spine, degenerative disc disease, and bone spurs. And cardiovascular complications, and it's exactly what you you two have both said. It's a breakdown of the system as a whole. So yes, we need to intervene to the spine. Yes, we need to also make dietary and nutritional modifications, and then ask your doctor if getting off your butt is right for you. And let's exercise, right?
1: <laughs> now, in your training, it, uh, did you guys get training in nutrition? Yes. How, how many well, hours would you say, just ballpark?
2: Well, life university, I mean, there were, uh, there were several classes, so I don't know what the hours that up to, but it was, uh, it was an integral part of the curriculum.
1: Like a, like a hundred plus, I actually probably way more than that if it's an integral part.
2: Yeah. It, it's, okay. it's baked, it's baked into the curriculum. I mean, there's a cool. lot of it.
1: And, and compared to the eight hours in medical school that the average physician gets. <laughs> so you're, you're maybe more trained than the average MD, uh, although there are MDs who are not average. I mean, like there's you know, Mark Hyman, I think is a mutual friend, and uh, David Perlmutter, and, and, and there are guys who are incredibly knowledgeable in nutrition uh, who have MDs, but it's usually not from their MD studies where they got it, unless they're a clinical nutritionist and an MD. So so a lot of people who have not ever been to a chiropractor don't understand that chiropractic includes a lot of nutrition, whereas you might not get that. Uh, one of the things that, that really pissed me off when i was living in a house that had uh, water damage uh, had toxic mold in it and i was having all kinds of stuff happen to my health i ended up doing a documentary about this really common problem by the way one of the big problems was uh, ribs would become they pop out of uh, in my upper back my rib has would pop out of my spine it was terribly painful and it, this would actually happen in response to toxins and all this crazy stuff w- w- was going on And I went to the doctor, and I had all these weird symptoms, including these rib heads popping out and things like that. And I had started gaining weight again, even though I'd lost about 50 of the 100 pounds I needed to lose and the things that I'd done before weren't working, and I just felt like a zombie. And he said, maybe you should lose some weight. And I said, yeah, that's a really good idea. How do you recommend I do that? Because nothing works, and I've tried all these things. And he goes, you should try eating a healthy diet. (laughs) And, and I was like, I wanted to kill him. I'm like, really? Like that's all you have for me? But compared to the the chiropractors I've seen, they would have at least said you could try this, you could try that, you could try not eating stuff that's inflammatory. And and I was I was blown away. But that leads me to uh, assuming everyone listening now understands all right you're likely to get a more holistic point of view from a chiropractor than you are from your gp although if you have a broken bone you might want to go to your gp like there's both both practices are very useful um i also wanted to ask you a question one is i'm sensitive to lectins the the nightshade vegetables at least some of them and when i eat one of my favorite foods which is new mexico green chili i grew up in albuquerque new mexico I never knew this. I just always had upper back and neck pain and all, but one of my vertebrae moves a half inch to the side a half hour after I eat green chili. It literally shifts. What the hell? Why does that happen? And if we push the vertebra back in, does that mean I can eat green chili?
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Dean, I'll let you start off and I'll finish. <laughs> okay. The, the, the perception there is you, you feel this issue, you know, and really what you're feeling is, it's a, a muscle spasm. It's a yeah. nerve irritation that's driven by an organ irritation. We call it visceral somatic reflexes. Mm-hmm. It, it's been known for a long, long time that organs don't just do what they do on their own. They communicate you know, via the, the central nervous system and peripheral nervous system to the brain. And they say, hey, brain, something bad's going on here. And then brain tries to do some things, too. But then there's this cross circuit that goes from the organ to the spine and to the muscles. So when you have a visceral irritation from eating whatever food it is, you're going to have spinal consequences. It's no different than a person that's having a heart attack, feeling chest pain or arm pain or numbness and tingling in the hand. It's a visceral somatic reflex. The adjustment will help quiet that down. But the reality of it is it's driven by the visceral system in that case. So you need to not eat that food again. That's the reality of it.
2: I think, yeah, that's a great explanation, you know, how everything's just intricately connected. And likewise, that's um, the conversation that chiropractors will have with their patients. If a patient comes in, for example, with a thyroid issue or a liver issue or, uh, they're feeling tired, fatigued, or they have Hashimoto's thyroiditis, thyroiditis or Graves' disease or any one of these conditions or a reflux. The conversation always has to go back to what Dr. Deed was saying is that there's a direct somato-viscero-viscero-somatic um, influence. There's a reflex arc, reflexive arc going on there neurologically. So, for example... Uh, someone has been diagnosed with a thyroid issue, so the conversation a chiropractor may bring up during a consultant exam would be that well let 's look at the nerves in the back that are coming out for example um, what, what what should we look at? look at the uh, the liver is the nerve innervation the nerve connection the spinal the part of the spine that controls the liver Is it getting information there? Is the liver even getting right neurological control because if you have a thyroid problem, well we know that over 60% of T4 is converted to T3 in the liver. So what happens if you're not getting good nerve supply or signals to your liver? It doesn't matter. I mean, you can be completely off balance. You may never heal or get better from a thyroid issue. If you're not, if you don't have good nerve supply and function to to the liver or the stomach between T5 and T9, that's the primary uh, gastric distribution, neurological distribution to the stomach. And we know that you have to have good nerve supply for Everything going on in the stomach, including hydrochloric acid. You need high levels of acid in the stomach to digest food, break down proteins, get to the B12, get to the minerals, get to the vitamins and all that. And if you can't get to the minerals, especially things like zinc and selenium and all these other things, then you can't convert. You can't make thyroid hormone. You can't convert it. The immune system is going to get driven down. You're going to have all these complications across the board, including T8, 9, 10, the adrenal communication. So again, the chiropractor is looking at. Everything—not just disease conditions, but just to begin with, start with the foundation—is life flowing from the brain through the spine over these nerves and bringing function to these organs to begin with. And has any doctor ever checked that? Not that there there aren't other considerations going on downstream, but just starting upstream and helping the patient, facilitating that understanding and connecting the dots. And it all starts with function, nerve system, spine. That's where a chiropractor would start. Even if, like, there's someone like me who focuses heavily on nutrition and the end organ phenomenon, you still got to go upstream to the spine and that look at that visceral somatic somatovisceral, you know, deal there.
1: People uh, oftentimes don't know about something called event correlation, and where I come from in high tech, there's whole systems that we've developed that are around looking at events that happen in one system and then correlating them with events in another. Uh, we use this a lot in computer security. Uh, we use this a lot in figuring out when someone comes to a website, like what are they going to do next? But on the human body, there's a whole bunch of these event correlation things. And I just brought up this example of one. When, when I eat X, Y happens in my spine and probably a bunch of other stuff happens. I could tell you there's inflammation and there's changes in, in, blood clotting things that happen because lectins are, are, uh, part of that whole story. Right, so we, we know that's going on, and that's one observable thing. And, and I find that the best clinicians are usually uh, subconsciously or consciously really good event correlation machines. But some of the events that I've seen measured in some chiropractor offices that are fascinating to me are well, clearly you get x rays, you can see alignment. But I've also seen just a, a thermal, a thermograph, a, a picture of infrared coming off the spine. And you can, in fact, you can get a $300 camera for, that goes on your iPhone and do like the poor man's version of this but you can actually see like there's a part of the spine that's hotter than the other parts of the spine. What's going on there and why does it matter? Well,
2: I'll, I'll let uh, Dr. Deed get into kind of more of the science behind it, but we use thermal imaging. We use EMG. Um, we, uh, there's a company called Chiropractic Leadership Alliance, Dr. Patrick Gentempo, who had created this as a whole package of the insight, uh, insight technology, which combines, actually, and you'll find this fascinating, heart rate variability, thermal imaging, EMG. Um, it's also got a couple other things that there's range of motion digitally and algometry to test pain. They actually combine all of the scores from these and create a, a wellness score. But the thermography, what it's reading is heat differentials in different areas of the spine that are related to vasoconstriction, vasodilation. And, of course, the nerve system is controlling the diameter of the arteries around the spine, so when we run a thermal image or the scan or the rollers up a spine, it can show indirectly because of the heat differential it could be indirectly interpreted um, or secondarily interpreted as a neurological disturbance in that area, and that 's just one of the tools that that we use in our office, along with several others especially x rays being primary to identify where our the primary biomechanical and neurological impediments, interferences, just one more way of looking at, at the body. So, yeah, it's a fascinating technology. A lot of chiropractors are using it.
1: Cool. Deed, what do you think?
0: All these outcome measures are very important. It, it paints a picture of there is some type of disturbance to the system. There's asymmetry. There's asymmetry in heat. There's asymmetry in muscle activity. There's an alteration in visceral function with heart rate variability, et cetera. That's the clinical side of it. We know that. The challenge is what does that mean science-wise and research-wise? It's really hard to you know, put that into research context, for example, to play the skeptic. Um, the, uh, the issue is how long does it take to, to normalize temperature differentials in the body when I do a, a thermography scan? Well, you have to be in a a contained room with no airflow, and it's got to be the same temperature. The patient has to be in the nude for 20 minutes to normalize their body's overall temperature across the skin. Because if I sit down, if I lean on one side, if I touch a structure with my arm, I'm going to get a temperature differential. So, you know, we've got this, again, this interplay between the research problem and the clinical interpretation. The reality, I think, the clinician doesn't really care. We just know there's a problem. The clinician looks at this and says, you've got the following problems with your wellness score, like Dr. Dan brought up. All these things put together, they show me there is a problem somewhere. Let's see if we can normalize this, and let's see what happens.
1: That makes good sense. Uh, that made me think about uh, how I could speed up that 20 minutes. Uh, there are a bunch of chiropractors who use, uh, the bulletproof vibe, the, the whole body vibration platform that I make in their practice. Uh, are you guys fans of whole body vibration or not fans and couldn't like shaking the body up, like get things moving a little more quickly?
2: Well, I got, I got eight of them in my office and, uh, I know, <laughs> nice. I know, uh, I know has got a, he's got a whole collection of them too.
1: I, I didn't know that. That's cool. All right.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. So, uh, I've got eight uh, power plates. That's what I use. The Power Plate Pro Sevens. So yeah, those are fun.
1: those are really nice machines.
0: Yeah, we we use them for two two things. Number one, we use it in actual fitness classes that we do a true functional movement fitness class with proper trainers, and then we also use it for spine re- rehabilitation and and injuries. So, huge fan of whole body vibration.
1: Now, uh, why, uh, why do you like that? Like, like a lot of people ask, like, like Dave, you're, you're crazy. You have this, <laughs> this thing on your website. It's not coffee. It's not a supplement. I'm like, cause it sort of kicks ass. Uh, and it, it's not at the same level as a power plate. Like the power plate is, is extremely nice, uh, and, and clinically expensive. Um, but I, you know, I'm completely a fan of it because it moves in the right, the right axis, but, what, like, like why does it work for functional movement? Like, I, I'm sure people listening would, would because mo- most people haven't ever even heard of this stuff. What does it do that's special when you're working with someone on movement?
0: Yeah, whole, whole body vibration is, is really interesting. It, it's accelerating you at different G-forces or at different um, intensities multiplied by gravity, gravity. So, like, the power plate, for example, that's the one I'm trained in. That's the one I use. So with the power plate, I can set it at 1G, 2Gs, 3Gs, all the way up to 8Gs. What that means is I'm training you either at one times the acceleration of gravity or in the extreme setting, eight times the acceleration of gravity. That's that's a lot of acceleration. And what your body has to do when you're on the power plate, your body has to contract and coordinate its orientation under gravity to these whole body vibrations. So I have high acceleration, and I also have some amplitude in there that's going up and down, as well as left and right, forward and backwards. So it creates what's called perturbations to the system, meaning it's creating instability in your system. Your body then has to contract and control these perturbations and maintain stability in an unstable environment. And so what it does is it triggers a neurological as well as a physiological response out of bone, muscles, etc., And you actually leave. you're basically, what you're doing is retraining your body's movement. You're retraining your body's balance. You're increasing the strength of, of the connective tissue, and you're increasing the density of the bone. And so you, you do those, all three simultaneously. Whole body vibration is really an amazing tool. Uh, the last thing I'll say about it, and I'll turn it over to uh, uh, you guys, is... Most people, like, they go to the gym, and we look at the force equation. Force is mass times acceleration. Well, you go to the gym, and the guy or the gal puts mass, weight, in their hand. And so they're increasing force on their body by increasing mass. Well, we've forgotten about the A side of the equation. A is the acceleration. That's what the power plates or any whole body vibration system does. It works on the a side of the force equals mass times acceleration part of the equation.
1: Uh, very, very well said. And uh, I've I just noticed huge differences, uh, not just like muscle, but more lymphatic and circulation. And I'm I'm a big fan, big enough fan to to go out and get get one made. I, I broke some of the really cheap ones probably because I'm you know 200 plus pounds. <laughs> now we're uh, we're running up on the end of the show here, and I want a chance to ask both of you uh, the, the signature question for Bulletproof Radio. So, Dan, let's let's start with you. Uh, if someone came to you tomorrow and said, look, I want to kick more ass at everything I do. I, I want to be better at being human. What are the three most important pieces of advice you have for me? What would you say?
2: Well, get adjusted. <laughs> Regularly okay. have your spine checked. Um, because it's about performance. It's not about sickness and disease, necessarily chiropractic. It's about, you know, that's why we take care of kids, babies, um, the ones who are challenged with issues. Um, but I delivered, like yourself, I delivered my babies at home, my Bell and my Juliet with uh, a midwife supervising. And I checked their spines immediately. They've grown strong and healthy uh, over the years here. And that's it. You know, it's uh, it's it's really bulletproofing our kids first but yep. chiropractic has the ability of bulletproofing you in a way to really prevent many issues down the road to give you a great quality of health great quality of life now instead of be proactive instead of reactive um be open-minded you know this this program that we just recorded may have uh, presented a lot of uh new points new new ideas new paradigms uh maybe challenged some folks out there but all in all uh you know, the best, uh, I think one of the greatest things to do is be open-minded to new ideas, new concepts. And uh, that's, how, that's the only way you can learn and grow. And then I think one of the greatest ways to, uh, you know, develop a strong purpose in life. Because more than anything, that's going to get you up in the morning, give you energy, give you focus. Uh, I think more than anything, like yourself, you have a strong purpose. You want to reach the world with a, with a great, great message and a great company that's helping so many people. It, it's energizing. So find a very strong purpose um, serving others yeah. and improving and adding value to people's lives. I think that's one of the greatest ways you can biohack. <laughs>
1: so. Thank you. And Deed, what do you say?
0: That's awesome. And I know you said three, but I've got a four. <laughs> All Sorry. right.
1: You get a bonus one just because you've written a hundred papers, every hundred <laughs> papers, you get one extra.
0: <laughs> and, and this is the, the culture that I've set up for my, my office. And when I train chiropractors, this is my culture. Number 1 is better posture, better spine equals better health. You're that's number 1 for me as a chiropractor. Your spine and posture dictate the health of the human body. It, you know, you can just look you look at somebody. Yeah, thanks for sitting up straight, guys. You can you can look at somebody without even knowing them and you judge them instantly on how healthy they, they are just by their appearance. Right? So, better posture, better spine, better health. That's one. Number 2 is You are what you eat. And this is a huge deal, right? You guys have both touched on this. If you don't feed your body the right type of fuel and put in the right types of nutrients that are missing, your body is not going to heal. So nutrition and diet, huge, Mm -hmm. huge role. And, you know, lots under that umbrella, of course. Number three is if you don't move, you lose. People are so damn sedentary that a lot of things we see that are health disorders. It's simply because your body's breaking down due to lack of proper strength, stability, and movement. You gotta exercise, right? You gotta do it. And then number four for me is, you gotta focus on your personal and emotional needs. And, And what that encompasses is lifestyle relationships, personal time for you, for your friends, for your family, and connecting with other human beings on this planet, right? You know that when you're in a crappy mood, if somebody comes to you that's in a great move mood, they pick you up instantly. They do. Conversely, you're in a good mood, somebody's in a crappy mood, they can also bring you down. So if we all try to resonate at a little bit of a higher energy level, things will improve and will be better.
1: Uh, very, very well said. Now, for listeners who are interested in checking out more of what you're doing in each of your clinical practices, uh, Dan, Yachter, what is the URL they should, they should go to?
2: They can go to elevationhealth.com, elevationhealth.com, um, or they can reach me directly at dryachter at gmail.com, C-R-Y-A-C-H-T-E-R at gmail.com.
1: Now, you, you realize a quarter of a million people are listening to this. Are you sure you <laughs> want them to email you?
2: Well, actually, we could we could edit that and just put Doctor Deed's email on there. But
1: <laughs> I like, like.
2: no, I don't mind. It's all uh, right. it's, it's all good. You know, I'm uh, I'm here to help folks, and uh, you know, it, you know, we could we could screen them out if we need to. all right,
1: you're you're gonna you're gonna want some help with your email if you. can.
2: <laughs> but I do have also one one other resource too. Anybody out there? Any parents out there who want to learn more about? Uh, chiropractic, pediatrics, what it can do for kids, how it can help, performance, case studies, more research, additional references, ICPA for kids.org, icpa, the number four, uh, kids.org is okay. a great, great resource for, for folks to go to,
0: especially parents with, uh, with kids. Uh,
1: thanks. And Deed, what, uh, Deed Harrison, what's, uh, what's your URL?
0: Yeah, I would really love the listeners to go to IdealSpine.com. So Ideal, I-D-E-A-L, Spine, S-P-I-N-E.com. And that's a resource for both uh, chiropractors and for patients. There's a consumer side to it. They can see, uh, you know, some nice information about what chiropractic biophysics is all about from a holistic treatment approach.
1: All right. If you enjoyed today's show, go to one of those URLs, and if you didn't get those, don't worry about it because the transcript for Bulletproof Radio is available for free on BulletproofExec.com. You can read everything we said. It's entirely searchable, and you can click on any part of it you like, and it'll take you to just that snippet on YouTube so you can actually hear that part of the conversation that you found. It's one of the first interactive transcripts uh, that was even available on the web. We pioneered that technology. So it's, uh, it's coming along nicely where you can just find all this information in any way that you absorb it best because it's really important that you be able to see it and it includes uh, the URLs that you can go to. I'd also love it if you checked out uh, where we are on iTunes and just clicked uh, the leave a review and say what you think about the show. That really, really helps and it helps other people find the show as well. We're regularly ranked number one on iTunes in the health and fitness category and I'm not going to stop till we're number one ranked on iTunes, period. <laughs> and when we get there, I'm not going to stop either because I'm having fun. And because the feedback that comes in from the show, I know that it's helping literally, literally millions of people. I mentioned a quarter million of you may have listened to this episode. That's just in the first month or two. There's pushing now 25 million downloads of Bulletproof Radio. So this is reaching huge numbers of people and it's helping them and they keep listening. Because it works. So thank you for listening. Thanks for your time today. Hopefully, you got some real valuable stuff from the show, and I look forward to seeing you on the next one.